the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast brought to you by BetMGM. This is the Group of Five Deep Dive, also known as the Pavia Ponzi Scheme. It continues to roll on, and so do we. Here for those watching on YouTube, we have matching Diego Pavia t-shirts. We appreciate all the heavy lifting that our fans out in the Twitter sphere have been doing, basically shouting from the rooftops that this guy is an absolute ATM. Jerry Kill should be up for Coach of the Year. All this positivity coming out of Las Cruces. Now they travel across the country to Lynchburg to take on Liberty in the Conference USA Championship. But before we get into all five of the G5 Conference Championships, we're just going to make a quick pit stop here just to address the fact that the GOAT here at the Action Network, Stucky, and I don't say that tongue-in-cheek, the man has built a legacy of being in the know, of being in the weeds. He's grinding college football, college basketball, the NFL, any sport, when you listen to Stucky, he is educated on the subject. He's opinionated, but man, does the guy have a long period of winning, of like staying in the black year after year after year, all the way back to his covers days. So when I say that I respect the man, I absolutely believe it. That's true. What's also true is that he just will not get out of his own way when it comes to Pavia and New Mexico State. He continues to fade them. At this point, a lot of people are tweeting us. They're on social media. They're into our DMs. You know, do you want an apology? I don't want an apology. At this point, the land of enchantment locomotive is full. The doors are no longer opening. This is an express train to Lynchburg, Virginia. If you're on board, congrats. Kick back. Enjoy yourself. Hopefully you have some tickets like we do. I have a Moneyline ticket of plus 450. We also hit the preseason where I went with Liberty. I think it was like plus 215, something like that. So I'm counting my money at this point. But anyone who's not been a part of the Pave experience to this point, it's too late. All right? The doors are sealed, and it's totally fine that he wants to dig in a shout-out to the new BCS. I'm obviously a biased, uh, you know, person on on this in terms of our programming. But I think the BCS show has been phenomenal this year as a part of our BBOC oh, yeah. offerings. You know, the the core three of McMurphy and Stuck and Colin – just like cutting it up in a little bit more of a loose format, talking big picture, talking, you know, the stumper trivia question. It's been great. And a big shout out to our boy, Tim Kalinowski, for coming in and basically being the ringmaster of that circus and keeping everything on track on a weekly basis. It was great. McMurphy dunking all over Stucky for not being with Pavia this year was great. I, you know, I would ask a little bit more in terms of pronunciation. I think some of it's tongue in cheek. I think some of it's uh, purposefully mispronouncing his last name. Diego Pavia. Household name. Get used to it, everybody. All right, I know. I'm going to bring you in here with your T-shirt. Go, Diego, go. What are your thoughts leading into the very first G5 championship game on Friday, the Conference USA belt? Also, first of all, it's, it was one thing when he, you know, state disclaim against Diego Pavia. But then when he called you cowardly calibres on the live show, that was to me where he crossed the line. 
That's why I dubbed him Stubborn Stucky, because he refuses to accept defeat and to apologize to us. You don't even want it anymore. Someone knows, he, he owes someone an apology, whether it's us, Diego, Jerry Covers, and he won't do it. And him calling you cowardly calories, well, Stubborn Stucky, it's about time he jumps off. I'm sure he's going to be all over Liberty in this spot. I mean, like I said, I'm just a modest gambler here, just trying to talk through these games on a weekly basis. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. But really, I think the only person that gets hurt here is the upcoming snub. He didn't do a very good job of teasing it. He's not going to give the gambling Heisman to Diego. He's going to give it to Fafita. He's got a different love interest in the American Southwest, and it's not our boy from Aggieland. I understand. I get it. And really, at this point, I just got to embrace it because it's like you can talk about Heisman snubs. You can talk about Peyton Manning and Dominic and Sue like – those people live on forever. I think Diego is going to slide into that as someone who absolutely deserved to be the gambling Heisman. Would have been, it would have been three straight G5 gambling Heismans. Well, we do have one who's actually still playing, which is a testament to the COVID year with Michael Pratt at this point. So I appreciate that he's still playing some football. Why don't we go ahead and get into it? But first, let's talk about the holiday season, season of giving. We're giving out picks here. Holiday season's also about getting busy, and it means that you can't lose track of yourself, about your routine. But that's why we're bringing in our friends from Caldera Lab. Don't let that stop you this holiday season from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. That's where our friends, as I mentioned, Caldera Lab, they have you covered end to end. One minute in the morning, one minute at night can be all the difference you need for clear skin. These guys are the best in the skincare game with an easy routine, keeping your face looking fresh no matter your schedule. It's three easy steps. You got the clean slate which is a face wash to start and end your day, the base layer, which is a daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin, and the good, which is an eye serum you can put on at night to help your skin look tighter and smoother. Plus, what's a better gift than clear skin? So whether you're getting it for yourself, giving it to someone else, either way, go ahead and join the 100,000 men who trust Caldera Lab to show off your best self this holiday season. And just for our listeners, we have an exclusive deal. Use code BBOC at calderalab.com for 20% off right now. That's 20% off with code BBOC at calderalab.com. Make unforgettable first impressions with Caldera Lab. Speaking of first impressions, first one on the slate, Mexico State at Liberty in Lynchburg. The Flames lay in 10, the total sitting at 54 and a half. I'll do a quick breakdown for those of you who have been living under a freaking G5 rock here. New Mexico <laughs> State, 10 wins for the first time since. Ainella, do you know who the president of the United States was the last time the Aggies won 10 games in a single season? Oh, God. I don't know. Eisenhower? <laughs> Dwight D. Eisenhower is correct. The father of the interstate system, which this whole conference wouldn't exist without an interstate system. Conference USA now adding in Delaware. We got these weird geographical partners. Don't worry. Hop on You know the interstate. Maybe there's a few buckies on your way on the exit ramp. All right. I'm going to give a quick rundown on these teams. Liberty's offense, electric, fifth in success rate, second in passing explosiveness. Kyden Salter went from a uh, is he going to be good enough to run this Jamie Chadwell offense to, oh my God, this guy is a borderline like honorable mention All-American. He's ninth in QBR in the entire country. And on defense, I think they get overshadowed a little bit by their O, but they're pretty solid on the side of the ball too. 38th in both success rate and havoc. You can beat them with the explosive play though. They're 77th in explosives allowed on the ground and 79th in aerial explosives allowed. Here comes New Mexico State, 14th in success rate on offense, 7th in success rate running the ball, and 24th in passing explosives. As we know, Diego extends the plays. He gets outside the pocket. He has no problem making some crazy throws, trying to throw across his body, going for the kill shot. Diego coming in four games this year with over 200 passing and 60 rushing. And on the defensive side of the ball, 
the Aggies are not quite up to that Jerry Kill standard, but that doesn't mean that they're like an absolute liability in this game. They're 75th in success rate, but the one thing they hang their hat on, they're 20th in limiting explosives and their eighth in red zone scoring defense in terms of percentage, 15th in terms of touchdown percentage allowed. So they play a little bit bend, don't break. They don't try to give up the big play where you can score from anywhere on the field. And when they do get in the red zone, they make you settle for field goals. The first time these guys played, the game swung on a very bad half for New Mexico State. They were actually leading 17-13 late in the second quarter. They give up 10 points in the final 230 of the game, get shut out in the second half. The box score gets ugly. Liberty had you know well over 500 yards. New Mexico State only 339 but here's the, the glimmer of hope for me as someone who's hoping that New Mexico State springs the upset here. Pavia played awful in that game. He was 12 for 21, two picks. Salter, you could argue, couldn't have really played any better. 276 through the air, two scores, 43 on the ground, two scores. So with that being said, with it being a game there for three quarters, I think New Mexico State's still a live dog here. I can't advocate because I think the value has dried up in this number, both on the point spread sitting at 10 and also the money line. like. Having a ticket over four to one is exactly where I want to be. I think it's now down to three to one in the market. But I'll say this. If the smoke intensifies around Jamie Chadwell, even if he doesn't take a job, but it's like one of the worst kept secrets that he's taken one of these open, you know, power five jobs. I think that could be a huge distraction in this game. If something like that comes to the forefront by Friday morning, then I think I'm back interested in at least taking the points in New Mexico State in that 11 to let's call it 13 and a half point range. What are your thoughts on this game? between the Aggies and the Flames. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know where I'm going. Um, you know, as Breeze mentioned it, me and him both took New Mexico State plus 450 on the money line as soon as they clinched. We're watching this game together on Friday night with our lovely wives and our matching Diego t-shirts. So I'm very excited for that. We will be having a grand old time together. This game is hard to quantify from the numbers because, you know, Liberty's dog-walked everybody, you know, and, and they're... You love you love Caden Salter. I don't know. He's okay. Like, yeah, he's good. They don't play anyone. I I know neither is New Mexico State. But when you look at Salter, like you really, you know, break it down of his numbers and what he does. He's completing just 58% of his passes. But he has the highest A dot in the conference. They Liberty's more big plays than consistently moving the ball. All of their receivers average like 25 yards of catch. It's nuts. As you mentioned, New Mexico State is 25th in the country at preventing passing explosives. That's what they don't give up the big pass play. And that's kind of Liberty's, that's how they move the ball the most. So I think that kind of works out in their favor. Liberty's biggest weakness on, you mentioned their defense is good, but their biggest weakness is their run D. And that's, you know, the Aggies are, that's what they want to do. They want to run the ball. Pavia, Thomas, Watkins, Jerry Kill, give Watkins the ball 100 times. So I agree with you. If I take off my shirt, and 10 and a half seems about right. I would love to have gone Mexico state on the look ahead. Like two weeks ago was like 14. I wish I took it. I took a money line. I should have probably sprung with a little spread too. You know, I, I'd rather be getting New Mexico state at like 13 ish. 10 seems low, but at the end of the day, are we biased? You tell us you, if you listen to this podcast, hopefully all year, you know who we're riding with. We're not stopping now. Ask yourself, who do you want to be rooting for Friday night? Liberty, just all-time scumbags school, <laughs> or Diego? People gamble for two reasons, to have fun or to make money. I'd argue no team has brought you more of both than New Mexico State this year. We have ridden them 
to the promised land. Now we are at the pearly gates. We are busting through the door. Give us Diego. We're riding Diego. Our listeners better ride with Diego. We're not getting off the train now. He's he's brought us this far. We're going to enjoy it. And if we lose, I'd rather go down with our ship and our guy than bet against him. So, of course, we're taking the Aggies. And everyone listening better take the Aggies. I'm with Diego because screw you. Diego, Diego. BBOC is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get a $1,500 paid back in bonus bet situation if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, on to Saturday, Miami of Ohio against Toledo. They're playing this one at Ford Field in Detroit. Toledo laying a touchdown and the hook, 44 and a half as the total. All right, this one I have fewer things to say, but I still think it bears kind of table setting here. This game feels like... The game is bad. The the game is sad because if Miami of Ohio was at full strength, I think this would be like Toledo minus two and a half minus three. It would feel more like a coin flip. It would feel more like a heavyweight fight that's worthy of championship weekends. But here's the thing. The seven and a half, it's strange. I think the spread is just about right. But generally speaking, when it's sitting at a touchdown, you have a certain feel for the other team pulling the upset. I think Miami, Ohio can hang around. I just can't picture them winning this game. Because when you look at their last three weeks without Gabbert, 19 points against Akron, 91st in S&P plus defense, 23 against Buffalo, their 88th in defense, and 17 against the Ball State defense. It's actually pretty decent, 63rd in terms of that regard. But all of these teams basically illustrate what the ceiling is for this offense without Gabbard. And it's just not very high. I don't see them scoring more than 14, 17 points in this game. And they're up against a Rockets defense that's the best in the MAC. They're 35th in S&P+. Um, I, I don't know. I just see Toledo probably playing a little bit close to the vest, just running the ball, you know, kind of relying on their overall roster composition being better than Miami to say, like, we are in a position only to give the game away. You know, if they turn the ball over, if they make some weird decisions on fourth down or, you know, they gamble too much, maybe they leave the door open for Miami. But this is one where I'm not punting on a play. I'm just going to use the Rockets' money line as a sweetener for a lot of my bets on Saturday because I think they get it done. What's your thought here on the MAC title game? So for anyone who's been listening all season, hopefully you listen preseason, when I gave out Miami, Ohio, plus 850 to win the Mac. So I have that ticket in my pocket. So I'll ask you at the end, kind of, you know, for anyone else who tailed, if you recommend hedging. I'm one of the first people who just kind of never, ever hedge because it's like, I've been riding all year. I'm not going to jump out now. Um, especially in this, like, this will be a hard one to hedge. You kind of have to get in live. Um, it sucks, Gabbard, Sarah. Same thing happened last year with Curtis Rourke. I think Toledo's kind of always overrated and they've had to play two backup quarterbacks, back-to-back Mac titles. But Miami did go 4-0 without Gabbert. And yeah, they weren't playing Toledo. They were playing, you know, Buffalo. The, the and, dregs, pretty much. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> but we've seen them kind of shift to rely more on their running game with Amos and Tracy and just lean on their elite defense. You said the I think the Red Hawks have the best defense in the MAC. They're fifth in the country at preventing explosiveness. They give up no big plays. They are fantastic against the run. Matthew Salopak in the middle is the best linebacker in the conference. They're top 25 at preventing finishing drives. I know you don't like Daquan Finn. 17 big-time throws, 14 turnover-worthy plays this season. He's really not that good. But they have a great running game with Penny Boone, but it's difficult to run against this Red Hawks team. We saw that in the regular season when these two teams played. Uh, Toledo had just 20. Yeah, that was the game Gabbert got hurt. But look on the other side of the ball. Toledo had 21 points, and Boone had 73 yards on 17 carries with no touchdowns. So when you look at the Toledo defense, their strength is their pass defense. They are fantastic in the secondary, Quinion Mitchell. But I just mentioned it. The, the Red Hawks aren't really passing anymore because they kind of can't. Toledo's just 76th in success rate against the run. And that's where Miami has turned to. That's kind of all they can do right now. So I think this is going to be another low-scoring game. I do kind of like the under. So 44, if you're betting the under... Seven and a half is a lot. So I'm with you where I'm not overly confident in my plus 850 MAC championship. As dumb and ass backwards as this sounds, I might hedge by betting Miami plus seven and a half. Because I agree with you where I'm like, I think they cover. I don't know that they'll win, but I seven and a half just seems like a lot. I mean, what was the spread when they played with Gabbard? Like, I think it was my Toledo minus two. I should have looked it up beforehand. So, you know, is Gabbert worth seven and seven points? Like, maybe, but with this defense, I just think that seems like, it seems like a lot of points with a low total. I think it's two great defenses. I think Miami can stop the Toledo run. It was Toledo laying two and a half uh, in Oxford on the road. So, yes. So then a neutral site would be about, I mean, how much is home field advantage of the max? So, you know four and a neutral so you're getting you know three and a half for gabber i don't know it just seems like a lot of points so i have not figured out what i'm doing this game yet as if i didn't have the mac title in my pocket i'd bet miami ohio plus seven and a half that is my recommendation pick i need too many points i don't know what i'm going to do in terms of hedging my future yet i would also recommend this isn't something that i do a whole ton but if you have a game like this where you're not racing to the window. You're not overly enthusiastic. You think it may be a bit lower scoring. It may be a grind. You figure that the favorite's going to win, but don't cover. Try playing a band, you know, those winning bands where it's like one to six. Like you can get some tasty, you know, payouts. Like, you know, obviously you have to thread the needle. You got to get into a tight window. But I think we're both talking ourselves into like, a, let's call it like a 17-10 Toledo win, something like that in that range. So if you want to play one of those windows that go across the key number of a touchdown or or less, then yeah, I think that could be the way to go about it. All right, turning to a game that's being played on home campus. We got SMU traveling to Yulman Stadium to play Tulane in the Big Easy. This line, I got to say, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is a rat line. This stinks. SMU, as everyone knows, Preston Stone, out. Tulane's only laying four and a half. The defending champs in the AAC, they beat the doors off of everybody last year on their way to playing in the Cotton Bowl, beating USC. They bring the quarterback back. But we've, you know, beat the drum on this. There's something wrong with the Tulane offense. Obviously, the loss of Ty J. Spears, they're not as explosive. Pratt is still very good, but it's like on a game-to-game basis, where are they getting those big plays? The total, 
sitting at 48 and a half. So here comes Kevin Jennings, the SMU redshirt freshman. He's got 46 career attempts. He is now likely the starter in this one against the Green Wave. Three-star recruit. He was listed as a dual threat when I went through and watched his high school tape because there's just more of it. More of a pocket passer. He did win a, a 5A state title in Texas. He can throw the ball down the field. He's got nice delivery. Like, I'm sure starting next year, maybe he can win the job in the spring. I think he can keep this you know, SMU offense going. The question is, can he pop any big plays against the Tulane defense? Because you can dink and dunk when it comes to, you know, facing this defense. You know, like 94th in success rate, 124th in completion percentage allowed. But you can't hit the big play through the air. 11th in in limiting aerial explosives. But what's it like, as I said, like what's happening with this Tulane offense? Like when I go back their last four games, ECU 13-10. Tulsa, 24-22, FAU, 24-8, and UTSA, 29-16. That is really concerning to me. Um, I just think in general, this game kind of screams like a 10-point two-lane victory, but you're not going to feel comfortable with the back door being open the whole way. I see this as an underplay. I'm going to go ahead with under 48 and a half. Tulane this year has been the most profitable under team in the AAC. 10 of their 12 games have cashed out on the under because I still think the public books, everybody was like, this offense will get it together just like they had it last year. They have the same quarterback for Christ's sake. They they got to get it together. Like No one is saying that Pratt is, has regressed or anything like that, but just all the pieces around him are not quite as good. So as I said, you can dink and dunk against the SMU defense, but you cannot beat them with the explosives. So it's already an offense that's been playing a lot of clunkers. I see this as SMU trying their best to limit possessions in this game, run the ball a little bit more. It's not the sexiest play on championship weekend, but I'm going under here. Yeah, so this is the one I also, from the preseason podcast, I have SMU plus 350 to win the American, and it absolutely sucks. Preston Stone is hurt. I was devastated by that injury last week. I'm not hedging this. There's no chance I'm hedging this because I think win this game. I'm not saying I would, you know, they're they're favored, obviously, but I think they can still win. So I'm I'm comfortable riding this one. You mentioned Jennings. Yeah, he's played in garbage time because SMU's been kicking the shit out of everyone. Completely 75% of his passes, three touchdowns, no picks. I don't put a ton of stock into that. You know, when you look at some teams, we talked about with Gabbert, like he's never going to replace Stone, but he has a lot of weapons at his disposal to work with where he doesn't necessarily have to. He has three really, really good running backs, Knight and Johnson and Wheaton. Uh, I don't think Knighton or Johnson played last week. Just like they're both available, but it's like they were beating Navy by so much that they didn't. Uh, what's his face? He even said after the game, like, yeah, they were available. We just didn't need them. Like they were up by four. I think Stone threw three touchdowns in the first quarter. Like they were up by 30 immediately. They have a loaded receiver room. They have a stud tight end. I think RJ Maryland is going to be huge in this game because I don't expect, you know, Jennings to be thrown at deep all the time. So having RJ Maryland, that's kind of his safety valve. He's already their leading receiver in general. I know your player prop show, he's a guy, you don't usually get a lot of these lines for uh, G5. He's probably a conference championship. RJ Maryland, I think he gets a lot of catches in this game. Tulane's 94th in the country in pass defense. And yeah, you mentioned how much their offenses looked. And the UTSA game especially, they had five turnovers. They shouldn't have had that many points. They were outgained by UTSA. Obviously, my bet on the Roadrunners was wrong, but UTSA looked like the better team if they didn't just treat the ball like a greased-up pig. So, as crazy as this sounds, like I was going back on my notes when I gave out this preseason bet. I think SMU can win this game with their defense, which sounds nuts giving the SMU last 
what they were last year. It doesn't sound nuts based on the Tulane offense. Like this is not a bad stretch. This isn't well, them playing up against Ole Miss and like, you know, the athletes on the field kind of got the best of them. This is an entire sample size the whole year and definitely down the stretch, both against the Dregs in Tulsa and ECU and some better teams in FAU and UTSA. So I think the proof's like, as good as I just mentioned how loaded their offenses are and, and stone. They're 32nd in the country in offensive success rate. They're fourth on defense. They're ninth against the run, sixth against the pass. And everything we talked about preseason with what they did in the transfer portal with their NIL thing could not have worked better. Look at their defense. Edge rusher Elijah Roberts, 11 sacks, 55 QB pressures. He was at Miami last year. Their two leading tacklers, linebacker Kobe Wilson and Ahmad Walker. They were at Temple and Liberty last year. Their three best defensive backs, who are nasty, by the way, West Virginia, Stanford, Fresno State last year. Their entire transfer portal class is their now starting defense, and it could not have worked out better for them. They're nasty. Their defense is so good. And as you said, Tulane does not run the ball. You mentioned the issues. Their best receiver, Lawrence Keyes, is already out. They've already announced him out. Jaquan Jackson hasn't played in, I think, three weeks now. He's questionable. They're hoping he'll play. I don't know what that means. He hasn't played in a month. And their best receivers. So there's their two best receivers potentially out. They don't run the ball well. And they're playing probably the best defense they've faced all year. I have I have to go look back at their schedule. So obviously I'm not as confident as I would be with Stone, but I'm not hedging here. I'm riding with the Mustangs. I think they I think they can win this game. So I'm comfortable keeping that plus three fifty money line in my pocket. And again, if I didn't have them, if I didn't have maybe I'm biased, but I do have them. I think four seems like a lot. Because if you're like the under, I think this should be a field goal game. So I would take plus four. I'm riding the money line. Just so I'm clear, I think I misspoke earlier, but just basically saying it's the two-lane defense that gives up all the pass completions. So they give up 66% completions, which is like 125th, something like that in the country. So like they basically play that big umbrella coverage. They back up. They want to keep everything in front of them. I, I still think that leans towards the under, but if you're talking about an underdog play, that's the kind of game that you want. You don't want to get into a track meet. So I understand yeah. where you're headed at as well. And it sets up well for Jennings. Like he's not going to take shots anyway. Just like get the ball to Mookie Dixon and Hudson and RJ Maryland and let them do the rest. And then play defense. All right. On to the Mountain West Conference Championship game played at Legion Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. Boise, a two point favorite. The total sitting at 58 and a half. All right. Let me get this started right here. I think there's a lot of disrespect to the home field advantage for UNLV because this is the biggest game for UNLV since 1984 when they hosted number eight SMU in the regular season finale. They were 10 and one at the time, led by Randall Cunningham. That's how long it's been since they've been in a huge college football game. I think the alums are going to come out. I think the Fairweather fans are going to come out. They're going to have an advantage in terms of having their best atmosphere since they started playing at Allegiant Stadium. Number two for me. I still don't trust Taylor Green. Like, you know, the, you know, Madsen getting hurt and being out for the season. I think he just had surgery. He was posted on, on social media. This guy can be a turnover machine if you put him under pressure. I understand that UNLV has not created a lot of havoc this year, but they're still solid against the run and their weakness is really through the air. But I just don't see Green with a receiving core that's been decimated by opt outs and injuries taking advantage of it. And then on the other side, for most, most of the season, it was like, we were tempering expectations because of the early injury to Brumfeld and you know UNLV offense needed to be more balanced. But 
Maeva has been better and better and better. Like since he has settled in, he's had four games with QBR north of 80 in the last two months. And this is a Boise State defense we've talked about. They're 112th in explosives allowed. They're really unsettled in their secondary. And Ricky White is just one of many G5 players who got absolutely job during award season. You can't even throw these kids like semifinalist consideration. He hit 1,300 yards receiving with a backup quarterback, 17.3 yards per catch, and he's at 110 yards plus in five straight games with five TDs. This guy is going to eat. This is my underdog play of the entire weekend. I think UNLV should be favored. I think this is massive disrespect. Boise State getting back Genty was big. But like I said, the only thing that UNLV's defense does well is they, you know, corral the run, at least by Mountain West standards. So I see them getting the bump at home. I see Maeva playing another great game. I'm into it. Agreed. I took UNLV money line. I think they win the game. I would take UNLV if they're minus two and a half. I think Boise State has been an absolute roller coaster all season. Uh, they literally fired their coach mid-season and still, like, still made the conference out game. I tried to ask Brett McMurphy if that's ever happened before. He said not that he's aware of. So unless someone tweet at, tweet at us if, if I were just forgetting someone, I don't know their team's ever fired their coach mid-season and still made the conference title game. But it's crazy that, by all accounts, they've had a wildly disappointing season and they, they might still win the conference. But you said it. Their whole offense basically has become Austin Ginty and... It's not going to get any easy because that's the only thing to do that not only do they fire their coach, but their passing game is gutted with, you know, Madsen, like you said, took Taylor Green's job. Now he's out for the season, so they have to go back to Green. And their receiver room is gutted because Stefan Cobbs and Latrell Cables are both out for the season. Another thing I don't think I've ever seen from a conference championship team, their leading receiver, Eric McAllister, who's their leading receiver by a lot. End of the transfer portal in the middle of the season. He's just like, I don't want to play for you anymore. He's gone. I don't know how often that happens. So they're now one dimensional. All they can do is run. And you mentioned the UNLV defense is better against the run. But this go go offense has been go go going for a while now. They run the ball so well. Maeva has been terrific. They're 22nd in the country in explosiveness, which plays right into Boise State's weakness. I think they run the ball. I think they pick up big plays. I think they win this game. I also I kind of do like the over just because that kind of hedges the, if GNT just goes bananas. But I think there's a chance UNLV wins and this goes over. And cause I think UNLV is going to score regardless. So it's kind of a semi hedge if, you know, if GNT has three touchdowns, I, at least I hit the over. But I took UNLV money line. I think they win the game. I'm picturing Ricky White breaking away for the game winning touchdown, running into the end zone. The fans with the VIP placards around their neck. It's going to be Guy Fieri. Jimmy Kimmel and Flo Rida, all UNLV grads. So I'm hoping they get the Snoop Dogg treatment and they're right there. It's funny about Ricky White, if I'm, unless I'm completely thinking of somebody else, but I'm I'm like 96% sure it's Ricky White. But whenever you talk off the top of your head, I'm like, am I thinking of someone else? Ricky White transferred to UNLV from Michigan State. From Michigan State. But he transferred because him and Harrison Bailey went to high school together and are like best friends. So when Harrison Bailey transferred to UNLV, they were like, oh, we're going to play together. And like, they're now like three quarterbacks away from Harrison. I think Harrison really played like two games. I don't even, I don't even know where he is right now. I don't even know if he's on the roster, but it is kind of funny that he basically is like, I'm going to go play with my buddy. And now he's going to win a mountain West title game. Harrison Bailey's selling car insurance somewhere. And yeah, Ricky White's like you said, an absolute stud. Harrison Bailey didn't deserve that. <laughs> yeah. Harrison Bailey just catching strays right here. All right. On to the last G5 preview, the fun belt. Appalachian State at Troy. Troy lay in six and a half. The total sitting at 52 and a half. 
Hey, the Mountaineers are a fun story. I got to be honest with you. Like, I thought this was going to be a bit of a lost season for them. They started three and four, one and two in conference. I was just right there. Quarterback gets hurt. Quarterback gets hurt. As soon as they lost the Old Dominion, I still had in my head the Old Dominion team from last year. So I was like, Old Dominion is trash. This App State team is washed. Then they go ahead. They win five straight, including an overtime thriller against James Madison, ruining their perfect season. Like talking about walking into a hornet's nest and coming out with a win. And Joey Aguilar ends the season over 3,500 total yards, over or 35 total touchdowns, like incredible. During that 5-0 and win streak to end the season, 17 TDs to four picks for him. He's a willing runner. He gets Nate Noel healthy again. Kanye Roberts, their solid one-two punch at running back. Overall, this offense finished the regular season 38th in success rate, 23rd in explosiveness. Did not see that coming. Hand up, you know, admitting when some of these teams, like I, I had a narrative you know, basically written for them that just wasn't true. And the defense was strong against the pass down the stretch. They finished 36th in Havoc. The question here for me is not can App State win it, because I don't think they can on Troy's field. It's more so, can they move the ball enough for this total to come into play for an over? And I guess my question is, how good is this Troy defense? Because I think the offense has slowly and under the radar improved, you know, readily over time under Gunnar Watson. They're still a team that's not super efficient, but they can be explosive. But the defense, I'm just not sure how good they are if I'm doing the same thing that I did with App State, but kind of in reverse, where I'm giving them all this credit for what they were in 2022. Because in the last month, they played South Alabama, who's been dysfunctional. They played Monroe. They played Louisiana without Chris, and they played Southern Miss. That's a pretty good stretch without playing an offense with a pulse. And now comes an App State you know, offense that potentially could pop because they have great quarterback play and they could run the football. So... If I'm going to play this one, I'm going to go over 52 and a half because, as I said, I like the Troy offense on their home field to get into the 30s. And then it's a question of can I get 21 points from the Mountaineers? I think I can. So that's my play here for the fun belt wrapping up what should have been James Madison against Troy. But, you know, we'll have to wait one more year. I don't need the over at all. And I just want to start. We skipped G5 Hero of the Week this week because we are just want to talk about these games. I'm going to do one quick right here. My G5 Hero of the Week is the Fun Belt because 12 of the 14 teams in the Sun Belt made a bowl. That is unbelievable. The depth, some of them, you know, you mentioned Old Dominion, Arkansas State, Butch Don't Kill My Vibe. You were burying Butch out back, pre, you know, week two or three. Guys going bowling. All right, we're going bowling. So shout out to the Fun That includes, by the way, James Madison. Shout out to the Fun Belt, 12 of their 14 teams bowling. I'm glad you said all those nice things about App State. And I agree with you. Aguilar's been great. I don't hate the over at all. I think Troy crushes them. I think Troy wins this by double digits. I think you look at this Troy team, we kind of, I think because of James Madison and because there's so many deep teams, we kind of. And also the West stunk. So it's like they were in no risk of losing the West. So there weren't like critical games down the stretch for Troy for us to get into. Because South Alabama, you know, fell off because they're the defending champ. It's not some like, you know, it's almost the same thing Toledo has, where it's not something like, oh, look at this team getting hot. Troy lost two early games to Kansas State and James Madison by two points. And then they have rattled off nine straight wins, pretty much crushing everyone. They have scored 28 points in every conference game this season. You need them 30. They've done it every game pretty much. And while their defense took a few games to adjust to losing to Carlton Marshall, who was kind of their, you know, all-star last year. Over the last eight games, they're allowing a grand total of 11 points per game. 
And you mentioned it. It wasn't the hardest schedule, but they're top 25 against the run. They're top 25 against the pass. They're elite at preventing finishing drives. They're so well coached. So yeah, App State's been throwing the ball really well with Aguilar, but I just think that the App State defense also has not been good all year. They're terrible against the run. They're allowing 4.8 yards per carry. That's the worst, the second worst in the Sun Belt. Kamani Vidal, 112 yards per game. He has over 5.3 yards per carry. I expect a monster game from Vidal. And how I don't think we've mentioned him all year, this, which is a huge mistake on our part. Gunnar Watson has taken such a massive step forward. It's nuts. This team won a Sun Belt last year with him, having 14 touchdowns and 12 picks, and they won the conference. This season, he has 26 touchdowns and five picks. He has not had a turn. He has had one turnover since September. Gunnar Watson is playing phenomenal football. He deserves a ton of credit. They have like three really good receivers. This offense is eighth in the nation in explosiveness. Which you don't really think of like, that's not what they were last year at all. App State gives up a ton of big plays. I like your over. I think Troy can score 40. So I think I give App State a ton of credit for ripping off five straight wins. I think Troy is a lot better than them. I'm going to bet Troy minus six and a half. You mentioned it. There's some weird other games in the P5 level. I think Troy is a great money line anchor. If you want to anchor him, you know, if you want to take Tulane, I don't love it, but Tulane, Troy Moneyline, throw Oregon in there. You know, there's a, if you like Georgia but don't want to lay the points, there's a lot of kind of Moneyline favorites this that you can play depending on who else you like. I would have Troy in all of mine. I think they win this game. I think they win by double digits. I don't hate your over. A programming note for those listening, we're going to go through all 10 of the conference championship games. And by we, I mean our brothers here at bboc that'll be stuck and colin going through every single matchup the episode's going to drop probably in about 36 hours something like that their conference usa preview (laughs) and then the bboc live show of course on saturday giving you the rundown on everything you need to know leading up to i believe it's eight of the conference championship games on saturday as well so it'll be brett colin mcmurphy i'll come in with g5 play as well and then Tim Kalinowski and I will put together one more college football player prop episode that is called the BBOC Tailgate, where we're going to get into our five favorite plays. Could only be three or four this week with only a 10-game slate to pick from. But it is nice that all of the G5 games are going to have robust lines in terms of player totals and props and everything like that. All right, usually we do cutting room floor, but I don't think we left any meat on the bone here in this episode. So I know that you wanted to get in a little bit to the coaching carousel before we get out of here for this episode. Yeah. So you, uh, you want to run through the coaches <clears throat> quick that have been fired just to refresh everyone's brain. We got Boise State. We mentioned fired Andy Avalos. Middle Tennessee fired Rick Stockstill. New Mexico fired Danny Gonzalez. San Diego State, Brady Hoke retired. UL Monroe fired Terry Bowden. UTEP, Van Dimmel. Told you that one was coming <laughs> week one. And a little honorary. G5, RIP, Dana Holgerson was fired from Houston. G5 in our hearts. So I'm not a guy who likes being like, oh, you know, my biggest pet peeve I was vending to you about this over lunch today is, you know, UTEP job is like, oh, he, you know, his favorite TV show is Friday Night Lights. So he knows the recruiting area or, oh, he's been to San Diego. He loves Disneyland. So we'll, he'll get the San Diego State job especially in the G5, just hire good coaches. Like you don't need to know anything about Texas. You could be from New England and be a great coach and go into Texas and win. 
So I don't really have a like, oh, he hit him here, here. With one condition, we can all agree. I don't even have to talk about it. Kellen Moore is getting the Boise State job, and I will riot if anyone else gets it because Chargers are going to clean house. Kellen Moore has to go back to Boise State. So we'll skip that one. I'm going to throw some names at you. I wrote a list of names I would like to see in contention. It's a combination of current OCs at the Power 5 level, a couple OCs at the G5 level, and then also, you know, we've seen recently the uh, what's-his-face, Tom Herman's, the mm-hmm. uh, who's Georgia State's coach? Uh, Helton. Helton, like the fired P5 coaches, drop down, rebuild. So I'm just going to throw a bunch of names at you. If you want to put them in a spot, go ahead. Just let me know your thoughts on some of these guys. If you want to, I like that one. This is my favorite. Like I said, Kellen Moore's gone. This We're recording this Tuesday night, by the way. So some of this might be outdated because I believe Sean Lewis is already in talks to take the San Diego State job. I had Sean Lewis written down as an option. Per Brett McMurphy, Sean Lewis is in talks to take the San Diego State job. So you can cross that one off the list. Here are the other names I had. Texas defensive coordinator, Jeff Choate. Washington OC, Ryan Grubb. Oregon OC, Will Stein. Both Stein especially still super young. Not sure if he's ready, but he's probably a name that'll get some calls. Kansas OC, Andy Coltonicki. Love him. Not sure he leaves Leipold. Our boy, Zach Kitley, Texas Tech OC. He's a Texas guy. I think, I think he's going to get run out of Lubbock. I don't think that's going to be uh, him leaving of his own volition. I'll go to UTEP. Brian Haynes, James Madison, defensive coordinator. I know you were talking about does uh, what's his fitness Signetti <laughs> leave. Maybe Brian Haynes just gets that job. Uh, our boy, Brennan Marion. UNLV OC, go, go, especially if he wins a uh, Mountain West title. Does he get a head coaching gig somewhere? I'd love to see Bryant Vincent get the New Mexico job. I know people at UAB wanted him, so I actually hope he gets that job. That's the one I'll connect. Some fired names that are out there. Does Dana Holgerson just come right back to G5? Does Dana Dana turn around? Uh, Scott Frost, he won some games in the AAC. He's out there. Matt Wells, I thought, got fired prematurely from Texas Tech. He won a lot of games at Utah State. Matt Wells is out there. Jeff Collins. I know everyone keeps connecting Brian Harson to Boise State. Boise State fans were thrilled when he left. There's no chance they want him back. Boise State fans did not like Brian Harson. Uh, a couple other interesting names. Gary Patterson, um, recycled G5 coach. Seth Luttrell. He made a bowl like seven straight years at North Texas and then got fired. I'd love to see him get another gig. Bronco Mendenhall is still out there if he wants to come back. Those are some names I got. Anybody specifically jump out at you as would be your first choice or a specific job you want to link somebody to? Well, what's interesting is I think one domino that is going to fall, I'm going to try to call my shot here. I think Trailer is going to move from UTSA to Houston, which then opens up the UTSA job, which I think he's left in incredibly good hands. Um, the buzz and is Holgerson, that they just, Holgerson, they just swap. <laughs> UTSA, the buzz is that they're trying to do everything they can in terms of resources and contract to keep them there. I think they've done a good job already considering he's won, you know, he had won back-to-back conference uh, championships and helped them move up to the AAC and make it competitive this year. But I think Houston would be wise. This isn't like uh, you led this off with, oh, this guy likes Disneyland or this guy likes Friday Night Lights. This isn't a clear hearts can't lose or, you know, clear whatever it is. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. This isn't a Dylan, Texas situation when it comes to trailer. This is him actually having relationships with all the high school coaches. Yeah. He can recruit better than someone from the outside coming in. And in Houston, that's the big thing. You don't even have to leave your state to be able to put together an FBS roster. But I think he's he's a good fit there. You brought up Brendan Marion. 
I think that he's ready. I don't think he's ready for a power job. I do think it's going to take a stepping stone head coaching job. And there's lots of different opportunities that potentially could open themselves up. But there's, you know, when it comes to the AD's job, it's not only getting somebody who can win, but also somebody who puts a brand of football on the field that buys them a little bit of extra time. I think it's why you see always kind of a, a skewing towards the offensive minds being hired over the defensive minds. He's somebody who's done a really good job. And as we mentioned, you know, during the Mountain West preview with a backup quarterback, getting them to the title game, like this is a banner year for UNLV. I think at the very least, he's going to get interviews with multiple jobs. It could be as simple as him saying, if I can wait it out, if I don't have my dream job situation, like, does he really want to take UTEP? You know, that's a coaching grade for most part. I do believe I saw something that he did interview at San Diego State. So, I mean, if anything, that can kind of be positive momentum, get him started. Um, And, you know, what's interesting is that from a Power 5 job, like, I'm surprised that Sean Lewis wasn't holding out or didn't get contacted, or maybe he did, by Syracuse. Because they went with Dino Babers, and you can say what you want about the Babers, you know, you know, campaign. But he had, a, you know, a double-digit win season at Syracuse. At times, the offense was interesting when he had the right quarterback. So I don't think they're afraid to hire somebody with Mac head coaching experience. So I'm a little surprised that they didn't go for that. I was, um, hoping, ben State, I was hoping Ben State would hire Sean Lewis. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, obviously the money's starting to blow up now for these schools that, are you know now in the three to four million dollar range, which even three or four years ago it was, it was a million dollar head coaching job. So tell you what, Brent, Brent and Marion, there may not be a better interview than your offense torch in Boise State on Saturday. That's true. Does Boise State turn around and hire him after he beats him. Yeah, I, I also think that there's the potential for a crazy domino effect if Signetti gets plucked by say Duke or somebody like that. And if Chadwell, if anyone comes in and blows him away, I'm going to put this out there and it it sounds crazy, but why would Indiana fire Allen unless they were serious about making a big financial commitment and going after, because they're going to have all this, you know, big 10 revenue TV money. Like it seems to me that they fired him to take a swing at a bigger coach, not to have some kind of stepping stone coach or a lateral move. Like why not throw $6 million a year at Chadwell or something like that crazy if that happens, then the Liberty jobs open, then just all hell's going to break loose. So it, it's kind of hard to get too far ahead on the chessboard with so many of these things being linked together. I think I think Indiana fans want Ryan Grubb because he was there when they were good. Uh, I think if, if Signetti does leave James Madison, I think promoting Brian Haynes is an absolute no-brainer. So I think that would solve that aspect. If Signetti doesn't leave, is it kind of a him and Haynes, like, hey, let's let's run this back, win the Sun Belt, which we have not been able to do for two years. I'll probably get poached next year. You stick around one more year. You'll be here if I leave. I, you know, I hope that happens because I'd love to see JMU win this because they'll be eligible next year. Um, yeah, to me, the interesting ones are kind of like you said. It's the does, does Marion get get a step up at you know uh, a Middle Tennessee, you know the, the UTAP, the lesser jobs in the G five. And also, you know, we saw obviously, you know, Sean Lewis leave Kent State to go to Colorado to be the OC. Does a Will Stein, would he rather be the Oregon OC or would he rather be a head coach in the G5? You know, him, Ryan Grubb, Coltonicki. Like I said, I don't, I don't know that I see Coltonicki leaving Leopold, but those are obviously some of the hottest OC names. So I, I'm, I'm curious if, if any of them will be interested in being the head guy because those are probably three of the top OCs that, you know, you could really, I know 
Tommy Reese is like, he doesn't do anything for me. I've heard his name tossed around a little bit. Like people are like, oh, he's from, this is again the, oh, Tommy Reese for Indiana because he played at Notre Dame. And it's like, who cares? <laughs> why, why does that make him a good coach? Because I, he, do think, yeah. I do think you bring up some interesting chatter about Frost getting back into it, where it's like, he, he, it didn't work, obviously, at Nebraska, and they lost every close game. But it did work at UCF, and I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that he's necessarily broken as a human being. So if there was ever like a retread kind of hire, that would be it. It's just, you know, about getting the right fit. And some of these schools, you know, essentially are looking and understanding that they are a stepping stone for a two or three year kind of deal. Where Herman at FAU... Or I actually think Helton, I think this could be kind of a retirement job for him if he stays at Georgia Southern and wins six to eight games a year for the next eight years and then just calls it a career. I think everybody's happy in that situation, whereas Herman's trying to jumpstart his career, get back into the bigs. And I think this is how it's going to have to have to happen for Frost. And Luttrell is very interesting to me. I actually think he might be the right fit for UTEP, given his experience in Texas and being a consistent winner, because that's what UTEP wants. They just want to be relevant. In Conference USA, they want to have a chance to go bowling every year, you know, every and year. put a little juice into that program. Having basically been winning with their defense for so many years, it may be refreshing to kind of try, try to go to a you know, more of an offensive guy. So, I don't know. I, I think those are interesting yeah. storylines to put out there. But like I said, it, it's a little bit of a fool's errand to get into who's going where because so much is going to change within, you know, even one hire. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm UDEP, I call... Matt Wells and Seth Luttrell. All right. For Mike Ionella, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Group of Five Deep Dive under the BBOC banner. Go, Diego, go. Everybody settle in for the Conference USA championship game on Friday. We'll be settling in over a pot of queso, just enjoying our spoils for an entire season of betting on New Mexico State. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the reviews, for the comments, for all the engagement on social media. It's really building up our community and you know, getting us more views and more exposure. And you are the reason why we do the show. If if New Mexico State wins the Conference USA Championship on Friday night, me and Calabrese better be tagged in 200 freaking tweets. I want every person to listen who listens to the show to tag us in their Diego Diego tweets if they win the conference title. So we've been on this train all year with you guys. You've all been riding with us. We're riding together. This is our suit. This is our Super Bowl Friday night. Let's go. That's it, everybody. Have a good one. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.